So yeah, and that's yeah. and that's and that's how I met my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was an amazing story. Yeah. That, okay. I've, Wow! It's life changing. Thank and you. And I am happy to see you out of treatment too. So that's yeah. That's <laughs> nice. The real the real yeah, question is if the cat made it. You can see the hair grew while I was in treatment. It was. It was uh, <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Black Hills Information Security Disc uh, webcast. Uh, we are in Discord. The link is in the Good Webinar chat. If you need that, we can keep posting it. Uh, the slides are in. Go to webinar. We're also going to post them on LinkedIn, and we will post that here in the next few minutes inside the Go to Webinar chat. And with that, uh, David Fletcher, could you please help in Discord? Darren, can you help in Go to Webinar? Deb, can you help in Discord? Uh, so, and Marcello, please help in Discord as well. So, we have a team of people in the back end. Sally, you're in Go to Webinar. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Kent and Jordan for today's webcast. Howdy. Thank you. Appreciate it, Jason. Thanks, everyone, for being here again, as always. This is the intro slide, and we're going to click through it already. It's too busy anyway. Yeah, there's a lot, of going, a lot going on there. So we've got one clarification slide. We're going to talk about what this is not. And this is not an automation tool, tool that we're going to talk about today. And we're not going to really talk about Atomic Red Team. I want to make that kind of clarify it out. And that said, Atomic Red Team is awesome. Yeah, so check it out. We also, uh, BHS also works with Darren. They've got some training on Atomic Red Team, which is Pretty awesome also, so kind of check through the links and, and check that stuff out. That said, what this is, so this, this is going to be talking about Atomic Purple Team. And really, we're going to be talking about Purple Teaming in general. I think this kind of came about in a long way. Jordan and I both have background in blue teaming and then both became penetration testers. And we learned a lot in that endeavor, and we've still kept that 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 blue blood is still in us. And... I kind of looked at something that I, I thought I've heard stories of how purple teams weren't effective, and that's what spawned all of this that we're going to talk about today. So what we're going to talk about today is an organizational framework for all the practitioners in the room. That's going to sound really boring, and I'm sorry, but we're going to try to make it as easy and interesting as possible because it's actually it actually kind of works together. So we're also going to talk about respecting uh, information security professionals, and John kind of mentioned that as well that. You know, he respects us as as human beings, which I'm not saying other organizations don't, but there's something specific here that I think we saw when we talked about purple teams. And I, I kind of wanted to bring that up, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. We're going to talk about continual improvement frameworks. So again, this is kind of business talk, but we're going to make it awesome. It's all right. And then lastly, an open source endeavor uh, to make the world a better place. That is the Atomic Purple Team Framework. The link is down below. There's absolutely no documentation on it yet because I didn't get to it. So... <laughs> Uh, maybe by this weekend I'll Pat have Marcello that that's okay. <laughs> so these slides will give you all you need. Yes. Yeah, so maybe by this weekend I'll have the documentation up uh, in that GitHub repo. Though you will find the slides, you will find the templates that we talk about later today about the actual lifecycle and framework. So yeah, I'm slacker. Thanks, uh, David. All right. So kick this off. What's <laughs> we do this slide every time? What are we talking about? What's the problem? What are we trying to solve? Lots of things to solve. And I think taking a business and saying, hey, we've got a pretty good leg to stand on as far as information security goes, but how can we move forward? What's next for our organization? How are you spending my dollars as an IT administrator? The, our, our internal red team and our internal blue team fight. They don't get along and they don't speak the same language. Help me square these things up. 
And finally, the CISO comes to the team and says, I have nothing to show our CEO for the money we've spent. Help me, please. You know, we've worked with some very large organizations and, you know, sometimes we, we go and we augment a red team or we augment the, the security team either to help them hunt or to help them um, do attacks. And we've, I've always, we've, we did those in the past. I felt like there was like you go to these, these scenarios to help organizations out and you can tell there's like this weird dichotomy between the red team and the blue. And we all thought like a couple of years ago that purple team was supposed to fix all that. And it never really did, at least not in our perspective. So that's hopefully you know what we're going to talk about and what we want to solve. So if we look at the red team, the blue team, what were they originally, right? And NIST did me an awesome favor. They had a great article that actually gave really good definitions to these, and then they the article seems to have gone missing in the last well week. So interesting. Taken down. Taken down. So fortunately, I can go by memory. Their definitions of blue team and the red team at the time. Maybe they're changing them now. No. So at the time, they, they talked about blue team and red team in terms of being able to build a framework and, and use them in an organization. They, they kind of touched on purple team, but they really didn't. And obviously, the background on blue team and red team, it's, it's not information security, right? It comes from a long time ago. We're talking about military type things. And the blue team, of course, was the, the group that was going to defend, you know, defend the flag, block build their the fortress whereas the red team was the ones that were doing the you know the spying they're trying to attack they're trying to pillage they're trying to sneak and that was kind of this dichotomy they were always fighting each other and we found that interesting when this went and defined this they said the blue team was responsible for understanding the organizational landscape in terms of information security and the network right the network resources i talked about how blue team was responsible for fixing things for deploying fixes and, and understanding what the vulnerabilities are in network so they give a really good idea of what that looked like. The red team, they said, was responsible for being an adversary, okay, trying to do adversarial emulation to try to break in, in a sense. And that's we all know that, right? But what's interesting is the parts that followed it when they defined it. And that was that the red team was to tell the blue team what worked. And that's kind of where it ended. So they would say, CVE 2020 question mark, question mark, question mark, worked. And they left with this kind of like, thanks for telling us what it, what, that it worked. How did, now, now, will you tell us how that actual threat affects us? And you know, the red team is going to say, well, yeah, here you They can start deep diving into the actual, you know, hold shelter. my coffee and watch this. Yeah, exactly. And blue team, you know, they might be like, oh, oh, uh, okay, well, okay. So I think there's this, there's always this dichotomy. Even when we went to, to help organizations, we still felt it. Like there was still, oh yeah, I, I got a bunch of shells out and <laughs> yep. Or the blue team is like, yeah, they're not doing it this time, which is fun and games with some levity to it. But I always felt like it wasn't just levity. It wasn't, it was actually much more than that. And it was still this dichotomy that was trying to work out. So that's kind of where we're at. Now let's talk about a purple team. And when, they, when everybody wanted to start doing purple teams a couple years ago, it was get the red team and blue team in a room and just make them do stuff together. Make the red team explain how stuff works. Make the blue team explain how stuff works. And I don't think it ever really worked that way. So let's talk about atomic purple team then. And what this is, as we talk about it, is going to be a framework to look at those groups and not force them to be something they're not. All right. So let's define out what that might look like. Some organizations have blue teams, they have red teams. Some might have just blue, they might just have red. Some might have like network analysts and help desk analysts. 
Some might have MSPs and MSSPs, right? So all of those groups. Or none of the above. Or they might have none of the above. Yeah. They, they might have the payroll, payroll attendant. They might have to take a couple classes to get caught up with where we're going, but that's okay. The idea here is that the purple team can really come out of anything. Now, if you have a blue and red team, perfect, because that's going to be really easy. You just have to respect what blue and red teams are and what they, who they are and what their, their past is like. Now, if you have a help desk, they're probably really good at administering things, but they might not be that great at attacking things, or maybe they are. But they will probably understand is that every time they need to go add an ACL to a file, they're the ones that like, we really need to clean this up. But they never do because they don't have time. So there's value in that as well. All of these groups can be or, part of Or resource team. allocation, right? That's a thing that trips up a lot of blue teams, right? And hopefully the framework gets you to the point where you can say, here is my evidence for needing resource allocation. So let's look at it then. What we're going to claim to be this atomic purple team, really it's going to be a collaborative effort, information security related departments, roles, all the way up, including HR, change management, network analysts, network administrators, your you know, storage stack, all of those organizations, all those departments will have some role as we talk about today. Ah, okay, so we'll talk a little bit more about that red team, purple team, or red team, blue team dichotomy in a little bit, but we're trying to get through a lot of information here really quick. So let's talk about a purple team life cycle. All right, so we know we've got the red team, they do things. We know we've got the blue team, they do things. They're always opposing each other. We get them in a room together and nothing ever gets accomplished, or at least that's the seeming of it, right? It doesn't get the results we want. So we tried to break it out, and the reason we did that is because we talked about Jordan and I came from a blue team background, right? Network analysts, system analysts, business. We, we've, that's our background. And as we became pen testers, we learned more and more and more and more about attacks, more and more about generating attacks, building things, building tools. And at the end of the day, I still feel more comfortable blue team. And I think what happens is if you ask a blue teamer to be a red team, Right. And really, to be a purple team, you have to be like, you have to have that involvement of both. You have to assimilate in that red team blood to be able to be purple. Right. And I think what happens is there's like a rejection to it. You know, it's I, if you ask me to be a red team, it's going to be really difficult because that's not where my background is. Right. That's not where my skills excel at. And I think what's important to know is that the the depth of information security, the knowledge base is so huge that it would be very difficult for someone to be an expert in everything. Exceptionally difficult. So instead, maybe we could have experts at blue teaming and experts at red teaming. And if we don't expect the person to be a purple team, but we expect the group of all of them to be the purple team, right? A team. Bring your best skill sets to the table. Those best skill sets might be the red team skill sets that you have done 20 years with. Bring that to the table. Same with the blue team. Hey, John. So I got a question for you, because I think that there's a lot of people on the webcast that kind of feel the same. Whenever you're talking about these skill sets, especially transitioning from blue teamer to a red teamer, how much of that do you feel is actually imposter syndrome? I want to add here, and this, you and I had this conversation not long after you hired me. And I think your point to me was, holy cow. Who better to understand how to break infrastructure than people who deploy and administer VMware, people who understand networking fundamentals, people who can get into a switch stack and flood the thing or, you know, so I think what I learned from you is 
Yes. Oh my gosh. I don't know how to red team yet. You're like, well, sorry, you actually do. It's just, you haven't tried yet. <laughs> that, but th- there's some trends like in the industry and I hate to get this thing completely off base, but oh, you're good. years ago you, you, we had this imposter syndrome, but then you also had a group of people in kind of the DEF con, DEF con crowd. If you go back 10, 15 years ago that were like, I'm purely offensive. I don't do anything blue. I just hack stuff. And they had this kind of holier than thou kind of God complex that they're a hacker. And a lot of that, I think, was defensive because they didn't want to say they didn't know or they didn't want to admit that they didn't understand things that the blue team would understand because it would admit a fault on their side. And to be honest, a lot of those people were just a-holes. So with that, I think that that kind of created this perception in the industry. And I don't even think it was perception. I think it was reality that made it difficult for a lot of blue teamers to actually approach and say, I have value here just because I don't know how to like find a return pointer, you know, doing a pop pop return or jumping off the structured exception handler or things like that. I still have value and I can still find vulnerabilities in an organization. So I would look at it. You asked about imposter syndrome and I would still look at it. Right. As like Marcello still blows my mind with this tool set that you build like overnight. I know it's not overnight. I know he puts a ton of effort into it, but the reality is, I, you know, I I feel much more suited to building Sigma rules than I do building a C2 platform. Yeah. And I think I think that's kind of where, when you look at it from that perspective, it's that's where my skill set is, right? That's where I've come from. Yeah. And How many of your employees have imposter syndrome, John? All of them. All exactly. of them, except for, except, except for Joff. No, no, I'm joking, joking, joking. Um, me, maybe. But oh, but that also kind of speaks to where the future of where we think pen testing is going, where it's no longer purely offensive. Like we're talking about, like with our reports, and I'm talking to other firms as well, a report isn't just saying, here's what's broke. It's got to be, here's what's broke, fix it. And a lot of reports do that. But like the new component that we really need to add into it is, here's what's broke, here's how to fix it, Here's how you can detect if this attack happens again, because that's equally important. So whenever you're talking about what red teaming actually is, all of red teaming is actually naturally progressing into purple. Absolutely. It is. And I think what we're trying to do with the Atomic Purple Team Life Cycles, as we've defined it here, is to try to make that a little bit easier, make it easier for an organization to consume and actually push. Oh, no, this is this, this is the slide, though, that helps tie John's points together. Right. He's making this. And I honestly, I honestly believe, folks, this slide is pretty much self-explanatory. <laughs> of course it is. It is. It's a life cycle. It's a life cycle inside of a life cycle, which explains the life cycle. And it's actually ISO uh, 27001 and 90001. Pretty close. And in fact, it's also Six Sigma almost, except for not to like one million. But the idea is there. And, and if you were to look at this from the perspective, you look on the screen and you see some purple things, right? Yeah, okay. What you really see is the red and blue because it stands out. And what I want when I look at this, I want to think of the blue portions here are like the blue team. Let them come to the table with their best blue team skills. Let the red team come to the table with their best red team skills. And the overlap in those don't have to be so large. We don't have to have the red team come in and explain what the IOCs are for the blue team, right? Because it, it you don't have to get into that detail. But what you do have to do is work together but work together using your best skill set. So if the best skill set for the red team is to build attacks and run those attacks and do adversarial emulation, awesome, let's do that. But let's not stop it like saying, yes, it's completed. The, the best red teamers are gonna be able to take a tool that's out there or build a tool, right? But most specifically, they're going to understand how the tool works. If we use like LMNR and Responder, for example, right? 
that tool set is operating because it's using a protocol that's still out there today as legacy support. But the point is, if you ask a red teamer how it works, they'll be able to tell you. Okay. Now, some of the very, very large tool sets that are that are new, that are more difficult, you can find proof of concept code on GitHub and you just run it without actually checking it. And you get logged as a statistic. And you get logged as a statistic that was on Reddit yesterday. Or uh, sorry, on uh, Twitter. That's a thing, right? If you're your your red team skill set says, I don't just run things on on GitHub. I look at the code and I understand how it works first. And if you can say, I can run this attack, I can do the adversarial emulation, and I can explain to you how it works, that's what the blue team needs. They only need to be explained how it works. Because the blue team is going to look at it and say, okay, it's using LMNR. I know what system, I know what stack logs that type of thing. Let me check there. But if you were to just say, we ran Responder, and we got to win. Have a nice day. Yeah, we relayed your authentication, took over your network. It's not helpful. But if you say, yep, it's in your NBNS and LMNR stack, it's going to be low-level legacy support, that's what they need to hear. If you tell them the protocols that are used without saying, yeah, just go read this GitHub code, right? Don't just give them the the, the Python code and say, go read this Python. It explains how it works. Because they might not be able to do that. Or if it's, it's really not effective use of time either. And if... Let's be honest, if you're saying that, it's either because you don't have time, which is a conversation you need to have with, with leadership, or it's because you don't know yourself. And if you don't know yourself, you shouldn't be running the tool. Truth. I have one more point about this slide, and that is my favorite mental health professional told me, you can't really ask a table to be a chair. If you do, it might try, but it's still like, and, and this is the point. You can ask a blue teamer to red team your environment. They're not like it's not their skill set. You can ask a red teamer to go like look through a log stack for a particular IOC. It's not really their fundamental like core set of knowledge. If you take the word fundamental, the first three letters are fun. I suspect that Marcello has more fun building C2 frameworks than he does hunting for the IOCs that his C2 frameworks create. <laughs> Absolutely. A blue teamer might have a lot of fun hunting for it though. Yes. So step one, define an ingest, right? We are at the risk assessment portion of this life cycle. And note that it is cyclical. It is cyclical. So we're going to start out. Uh, we're in the upper right-hand corner of that life cycle. By the way, this is open source. We made it GNU3. If you're interested, check it out. We are open to changes since we're open sourcing it. So if you want to be, if you look at this and say, you know, I think we can make some changes here that'd be better, like check it out on GitHub. Obviously, there's no documentation yet, but Give it until this weekend. All right, so let's talk about that. That ingest, we're going to start at risk assessment. Now, a risk assessment is not doing a full stack risk, risk assessment on an organization. It's simply asking a question. The question might be, what was the one that just came out? Uh, 2020 something, something, something. CVE something ain't patched yeah. yet. Let's talk about F5, okay? So there's a new vulnerability out. Let's just say it's the F5 vulnerability, RCE. Okay, let's start there. That is going to be a threat. Right, we can put that into this ingest. So risk assessment, let's just stuff F5 in there, that vulnerability. And the point here is you can put anything in here. I always make the, the analogy that you can put in here making a sandwich. There's some sort of risk assessment about making a sandwich. You can put that in here. I'm allergic to nuts. Well, <laughs> I, I can tell you how this is going to go for me, and it's going to end with me not eating the sandwich. But the point here is that you can put anything in here. You can put a best practice framework in here. You can put a vulnerability for stack in here. You can put a a Nessus scan output into this. Anything I believe we all. have put Marcello in here. We have, yeah. We actually have a lab in our, our larger class that talks about using Marcello's tool sets in this exact same thing and hunting for those things that you might not have as much interest in doing. 
All right, so just put anything in the risk assessment. Then we move on to plan two. Plan two is going to be that planning phase. Now, planning phase is really just about methodology. It's going to say, okay, guys, we want to run against this, this threat that's out there. What are the potential tools we can use? Okay, and then the red team will say, yeah, I think uh, for that, we're gonna use this tool or we're gonna generate something, either one works. And the blue team is gonna say, okay, look at that tool really quick. Okay, let, you know what, let's just start here. Let's just start with our existing SIM stack and see if our current defenses pick it up. Easy enough. The how there is to do some a little bit of research on what the actual threat is. You might need to use some new cool tools. You might need to create some tools. But the thing here is to, in planning, you've got that threat that you want to bring in there. The threat you should identify is either being something you want to identify, something you want to defend against, or just something you want to alert on, right? Or maybe if it's a best practice, something you want to deploy or determine if you should deploy. Planning phase is how you're going to do that, and that brings us on to the attack. This is where the red team is saying, go. Now, there's one slide here we didn't talk about, and it comes later, but it talks about where you do this at. And we're going to talk about that. You don't do this in production. We'll say why. But let's do the attack. The red team runs their attack. All they have to say is, yep, we ran the attack. It started at this time. It ended at this time. We used these tools. This was the result that we got. Pretty, pretty simple, right? And those were four questions that just boom, 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 done. Now, when I just said how to, to do that, I didn't say the blue team had to run the attack. I just said the red team can just all the way down, right? Or if it's one person doing this, it's the purple team. It could be the help desk guy that you assigned to do this. That's fine too. Absolutely fine. But the point is, in the attack, you just run the attack, you document the attack, you document the results. Leads on to hunt and defend. So hunt and defend could be deployed, could be, depends on what the initial inject was. If it was a best practice, you might do something a little bit different. But the hunt and defend is essentially, if your goal was to be able to defend against this, your hunt and defend is going to use whatever tool set you have that you talked about in planning, utilize that to the best of the ability, and see if it worked. And the answer is going to be yes, it worked, or no, it didn't. And if it didn't work, do we need new tools involved? What do we need to do? And that brings us to adjust and harden. So let's say it didn't work. You didn't, your current tool set did not defend the way you expected it to. You need to adjust things. Maybe you need to make some changes on your malware platform, your anti-malware platform to catch another additional signature. Maybe your SIM needs additional uh, Tuning. Tuning, exactly, to be able to catch this IOC. That's where this adjust and harden comes in. So what happens is the blue team comes in, they run the defense, run the hunting of the IOCs, and they say, well, we didn't find it, but based off the red team attacks, we have this idea, we, we kind of worked with the red team, they told us what the protocol was that's being involved here, so I think if we look at this log, we might be able to find it. Okay, so go into that log, do a little hunting, see, so okay, yep, I found it. Let's make some changes to our SIM stack. Let's push it back over, have them. Let's go back to planning. In planning, we're going to update what we've changes we've made, and we're going to run the attack again. So after planning goes back to attack, red team attacks, blue team uses their new tool set with their new configuration to see if- New audit works. policies, new application of endpoint protections, monitoring, any any changes, right, happen here. So super- And rerun the thing. And rerun the thing. So it's either going to work or if it doesn't. If it doesn't work, you pop it back over to planning, make some changes, do it again. If it did work, you move on. The last phase, which is report and request for deployment. Now, request for deployment, what does that mean? That means that the person that just made those changes in that lab environment, we're going to talk about that, is not the one that ultimately can approve it or ultimately can push it into production. So there's Reporting a whole, is awful, though. Yeah. There's, there's, a whole org, there's a whole concept here about change management that if your organization doesn't have it, you kind of might skip this a little bit, but realistically, every organization that probably is going to deploy something like this is going to have some sort of change management protocol to follow. The point being here, point being is that, let's talk about reporting. Like you said, 
Reporting is fun, right? No, no, no. I don't like reporting. Wait, I actually kind of do like reporting. (laughs) I try to stay caught up. Okay. That helps, right? Here's the thing. Um, What what we know is that the red team is not going to want to write a report about blue team stuff, right? But they might be all right about, you know, defining out what their attack was. Providing some commands, sources, some times. That stuff's not hard. No, it's what they know. Screenshots, maybe. Their best skill set. Now, let's look about the blue team. They're probably not interested in, or probably not the best one to document what the attack was, right? But they are the best ones to document what the initial defense was and, and potential changes that need to be made. So let's talk about that. Reporting. If it's not fun, why would we bother with reporting? And here's where this comes in. So there's a couple pieces here. In that life cycle that went around, we're now at the point that we want to deploy a change. Now, if you have change management, they're going to ask some simple questions like, have you tested this? You can say, yes, we've tested it. In fact, we've got all these teams that have been involved, and they've all signed off on it. It's on this piece of paper. They'll also say, well, did you consider the impact? Yes, we have. In fact, we monitor the CPU processes. We monitored IOPS. As we ran through these changes, it's actually in the document right here. Before you go to change management, you have those questions answered because you push them into your documentation. That said, documentation is not fun. How long, how long, think about that. How long is it, if you want to put in there all the methodology about how this worked, all the changes you had to make, this report's going to be super long, right? I mean, it, yeah, it seems like it. It'd be Especially painful. if you include mans and... Especially yeah, if, anyway. if, if you want this to be able to be read by, I mean, everybody. Like, what if I want this to be read by, like, the C-level? we got to add, like, a whole section in there about... An like, executive summary to a life cycle? Yeah. That doesn't sound like any fun. It doesn't. Anyway. But the point on this report that we're going to talk about, and it's coming up next, the point of this report is something that can be consumable by everyone. The help desk, the blue team, the purple team, the red team, the HR department, the payroll, the C-level, the board, your boss, director, supervisors. All of them should be able to read this and know what happened. Now, that's not to say they're going to care about all of it. They're going to care about certain pieces of it that are interesting to them. C-level is going to care about impact, probability, cost, and value. The CISO might care about getting budget for this process. They're going to care about how much it costs. All of that is in this report. Okay, I'm going to burn your reveal to the ground. The report is not next. Life cycles. But this is a good time for a break. If there's any questions, anything we want to address in the meantime, we are going to kind of circle back now and talk about why we start the life cycle in development in a QA, in a lab environment. So if there's anything, anybody want to jump in? I'm not really doing a great job monitoring questions in here. There's mainly a lot of comments and commentary, but there hasn't been many questions. So we'll keep an eye out and we'll same for the end if we need to. Wait. We keep rolling then. I'm going to speed up too. No, you're doing great. Our timing is, is okay. good. So we just talked about that whole life cycle framework. There are some ground rules that I kind of alluded to. First one is that you do this in a lab environment. Now, that means you have to set up a lab environment. The great way to set up a lab environment is to use a life cycle to actually track the progress of setting up the... Anyways, you do this in a lab environment. Don't do it in production. Why? Well, if you have a blue team um, and you run a red team attack and you're not informing them first... It's going to make a mess of things. Not to mention the sure fact, can. not to mention the fact that uh, if you have regulatory, they might you know ask you about, hey, give us a list of all of the IOCs you've had. And if you've had a red team that's just been throwing stuff in there all the time, it ends up being really long and big report. And then you have to go back and look at emails that are six months old about whether or not there was an 
events that occurred on this time. Do it in your lab yeah, environment. It depends now, on the stringency of your compliance. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the lab environment must have to look like your production environment, which means you have to have a similar Active Directory environment, similar Linux systems in there. It doesn't have to be huge. It just has to be a sample of your organization. Try to get it as close as possible. Reason being there is, of course, you want this to look the same, but also in change management, they're going to expect it to have been tested somewhere that looks similar. All right, so it starts in a lab. Where is it at? Better end in production or you're just having fun. <laughs> you're, just, you're just wasting time. Yeah. <laughs> if you went through all this effort and you didn't get any result of it, that's a problem. Now, the result might be you found that you your defenses were already appropriate, in which case you've bettered the security because you have tested and you know that your defenses work. On the other hand, if it didn't work, you've gone through the efforts of making the change and now pushing it into production. That life cycle ends in production. So our perspective on the lab infrastructure has been, I, would, I wouldn't say vomited ad nauseum onto like BHIS platforms, but it's a pretty basic platform. We got three boxes, a Windows domain controller, a Windows member server, and an Elk stack. We install a whole bunch of attack tools on that Elk stack and let it run Elastic. So in there, we have basically formulated the basic infrastructure we need to demonstrate attacks, hunt and defend, implement controls, and roll forward to the next life cycle. For those that have been following us a lot, that slide will have looked really familiar. It matches our four-hour workshop that we did. It also matches a portion of our, our class, the 16-hour class. matches part of that. I wanted to bring up that that lab that you just showed, we are releasing also open source with Terraform, so that if you want to set this lab up, you just run some scripts in Terraform, and you have a new lab that looks like that right there on Azure. And then you just add the additional pieces that you need to make that look like your environment. That is I got a quick as, question. Um, could somebody make me presenter? I want to kind of show them what we're doing with this lab right now at BHIS. Please. Um, so we have some interns Jason. that are working with us. I think Jason's in control. He's split nine different ways. Uh, I'm, looking, I'm looking I've for it now, John. You got right, it? Here we go. All right. So this is um, so what we're doing with this exact same infrastructure that Kenton Jordan is talking about is we're basically trying to take our beaker uh, open source Sysmon for network analysis distribution that we're working with. And we're running through a number of different tools and utilities that we use all the time for pen testing. And we're recording what are the different events that are generated within Sysmon associated with that tool. And eventually that'll feed into the overall beaker screens and what we're doing there. So we're running things like SMB Relay, we're running WMI implants, and with that, we're actually recording all of the uh, different logs that are generated associated with that specific attack tool. This is critical because I think that, and Kent and Jordan can speak to this a little bit better than I can, I think that a lot of blue teams stay just blue teams, and a lot of red teams stay just red teams, and the goal of purple is really trying to cross-pollinate those skills back and forth. To be good at blue team, you need to be able to say, okay, so if we were to run this tool, what would be the events that would be generated associated with that tool and what does it look like? And one of the things that we're discovering is if you, a lot of the different attack tools are actually built around PowerShell, a tremendous number of the tools are making network connections to other Windows computer systems via PowerShell instead of the standard system event uh, system uh, process ID 4, which is usually making shares and mounts over to systems. So this is us taking what Kent and Jordan are talking about, 
And we're directly utilizing that to better understand our own attack tools. And we're doing that because I remember talking to a bunch of pen testers and I said, what is the process that makes the network connection off of a victim's computer? And we're like, we don't know. We just run the tool, it finds the vulnerabilities, and then we document those vulnerabilities. And this is fundamentally changing the way that we do red teaming. And it's making what we're identifying for the blue teams far more valuable to them. So there you go. I'll let you have it, have it back. But this is just one of the things that we're working on. And there'll be more in the open source speaker project in relation to this coming out over the next couple of months. I want to add there. So when we built this lab out, we, for the optics portion, threat optics, we've been using Helk. And it is awesome. It also requires tender, loving care. And we've seen that time and time again, that it seems like uh, an old loft on is just super awesome. Like every time we go to deploy this out, which is about every couple months, uh, we have to spend some time updating everything and end up making pull requests and whatnot. And it's the point is these tools are awesome. And the one that, you know, we're working with with Beaker is, is fantastic as well. And it's coming along really well. And the point here is being able to build those thread up. And this lab environment, as you see here, is something that, the point of that is to build high-fidelity threat optics so that you can see basically everything that's going on. And then as you develop that IOC and you define out what you're actually looking for, then you kind of have to work back through your dependency chain and figure out what you need to turn on to be able to get the IOC back into your SIM in production because your SIM is not going to have this high-fidelity threat optic because it's way, way too much. Your IOPS would go through the roof. All right. So, yeah, we are going to walk through one from yeah, end to end. And it will make more sense what we're doing as we go on. So again, we've got a life cycle. The life cycle is six steps cyclical. And at the end, we produce something that we take out of our development environment and we hand to someone who can impact, affect, or approve change. Okay, so we're doing one right now. We're doing one right now. Okay. And the one we're going to pick on is a known threat. And that is alternate authentication material past the hash. And why we chose this one is, again, I always say the word devastating when I talk about this attack because it's one of the first things I go to on an environment and I know within an hour or two, if we are going to have DA by the end of the day, and this is usually day one, hour one. And we know that if things like LLMNR are sitting around on your network and you're not enforcing SMB signing, or I can write to a whole bunch of file shares that I am going to get a hold of alternate authentication material, i.e. password hashes. And then we can use those to authenticate all over your network and make your lives you know, tough as defenders. So we consider this one to be a hard to detect attack because you are using valid credential material to authenticate normally. Fortunately, 20 years later, as the hash still lives on, and it's still one of the most effective go-tos on environments in, in attacks. So you want to walk through this or do you want me to show with it? Step one. Our ingest here, again, is that past the hash attack. We picked this one because it is challenging to detect. It's a common technique we use, and it's also a common threat actor attack. Planning, do we have a lab environment? Do we have an optic stack online? Are, are analysts ready to go? And so here we point to the MITRE technique. MITRE has switched from having just parent techniques to sub-techniques. So we're using 002, which is legitimately past the hash, a sub-technique of alternate authentication material. Now, Darren's on. He's a, a wizard at Atomic Red Team. And that toolkit maps very well to MITRE in that, in theory, you can go into your environment 
and you can ingest Atomic Red Team. If you feel like you're mature in your security, take Atomic Red Team and you can run attacks from there. And you can operate directly against them from a hunting, defending, improvement perspective and continually, right, implement continual improvement over time and demonstrate that easily. So this attack, we're going to generate an LNK file. For those of you who don't know, an LNK file is something that Windows will silently use to request remote authentication if configured properly. In this case, we take this chunk of commands, paste it into PowerShell, and output a malicious file in a writable share. So the attack basically looks like you have privilege to write to some share. You generate an LNK file, you leave it lying around, and hope someone visits that with you know, privileges or high enough credentials to authenticate you elsewhere. So when this callback comes to your box, you relay that authentication elsewhere and escalate your privileges. I'm just curious, so, and I've always, I know we do the IOC on this for a PTH, but is this because Windows is trying to actively give you a nice little picture for that link file? Is that what it's doing? Like it has to reach out to that server? To... I think so. Okay. Yeah. Again, not a great red teamer, probably not a great blue teamer either. But this is an exceptionally effective attack for escalating privileges across networks. There's a reason we talk about this too and not LMNR. Because when we went and deployed into Azure, they make LMNR really, really difficult at layer two. There's some work workarounds to enable LLMNR in Azure, but their vNICs and their vNetwork stacks don't allow LLMNR by default. So our lab on this was essentially moot. Useless. But we came up with this one, reiterated, and... A new attack tested in engagements works really well. Absolutely. So here's kind of a walkthrough of that. There's going to be a slight delay here as that target path is created and you should pretty quickly see right that lnk save and now we've got that malicious file dropped on a writable share and remember how critical that is right one of the things we do as pen testers on a pivot is go look for share finder and file finder results those results often tell us where to go on a network to look for interesting things or to leave files like this behind anywhere we can find write privilege i assure you someone from this organization will be leaving these files lying around for you. Well documented, of course, so you can clean up after yourself, but or you can clean up after us, because one thing red teamers are great at, Kent, is making a mess of the place. So here's your you know, really quick PowerShell script to write a malicious file to a share. And next up, we're going to see someone open that share. The left window is the writable share. The right window is the relay window, waiting for someone to authenticate. Now, the authentication is silent to the user. They won't even know what happened. In fact, opening that lab share with the malicious file, you might not even notice it's there. And of course, we're not gonna leave a file name lying around malicious, so, are couple, we? Couple <laughs> Never. Couple questions. First off, if you look at what's happening here, I know you click on this just to highlight to have it highlighted in Windows. Yeah. You didn't have to click on no. it. No, as soon as you open the share, it triggers. Yeah, so this is a file on a file share. Just have to open the folder that contains it. Again, I, I, I believe Windows is trying to, because it's a PNG file, trying to grab the file first so yeah. it can show the little... And these, thumbnail. just for your edification, anyone wondering, these are fully patched server 2016 installations. 
right? This is not like so, an unpatched, intentionally vulnerable system. Next question was, is SMB signing required? And the answer is it doesn't matter because this is us having a user access. So the pathology here is we have user level access on the network where we have a writable share and the writable share here is labs. We've gone in and created a malicious link inside of that labs folder using our user credentials, right? Our here's a, yeah. Here's, here's a question that was uh, put up by I, I am, uh, M, M Spartacus. Never tried it, but is it possible to create the link file as a hidden file, like an alternate data stream? And that's interesting. I would think it, I don't, I don't think it would fire. I don't um, think it would fire either. But it's a, but you know what? We've been wrong so many times on these oh. things. It's worth trying. Yeah, my understanding is it's trying to get that, it's trying to read that file preemptively so it can give you the, the image. So if it's not being actively displayed, yeah. I don't know what, but if you have hidden files turned on, it's still going to try to do the same thing then. So I'd think it would work then. Yeah, and again, this is such a simple attack. It's it's scary in the result. Now, I, I want to clarify something you said there, Kent. SMB signing can stop this particular attack because what we're doing is we're still relaying that authentication on the right. But here's the thing that Mubix told me recently and helped me move my knowledge forward is that assuming you have SMB signing everywhere. And it's, it's enforced on D DCs by default, doesn't matter. You can execute this attack, wait for a DA or someone with privilege, and now in your NTLM relay window, use LDAP-S to reach out to that DC and authenticate there and add a user, right? So now it's, there's other ways to execute this attack. This one to us is just defaults, right? Fully patched Windows boxes. SMB signing is off by default. So it's so easy to run. The responder window in the background that's not shown here would have... Relay. Relay, thank you. Yes. Would have the hash from the original user that opened the Explorer. No. Okay. No, you would have to... That You would be running responder at that okay. point. But you could run responder as opposed to... Correct. Okay. Assuming you've got LLMNR on the network and BNS on the network. Got it. Yes. And... Another thing we do, why would we check your network for outbound 445? If we can get this malicious hash or this malicious LNK file somewhere on your network and you allow 445 out, we're going to start capturing hashes on remote systems for users. So we run Responder, Responder's listening, you open a file share, we've written this to, we're now catching hashes that we can offline crack. Next slide is is worded intentionally odd. Now, I worded this. We're going to use this recovered hash to capture the attack, right? We have run this lifecycle in a labs environment, in a container, somewhere we know. And what this allows us to do is that hunt, defend, improve process. And so what you just saw roll across the screen is we've got an IT admin hash. We use that hash to authenticate remotely. So we're doing that PTH attack. And what you see in that bottom window, which is running in the background, is an elastic stack. And that elastic stack has a sorted query searching for the IOC we believe identifies past the hash attacks 99% effect. So if you watch the hashes dump in the second run here. The first one, we're doing a local authentication to the remote system where we snag the hash originally. The second one, right now, we're running it against the DC. We're dumping NTDS. And what's happening now, bottom right, 
is you're going to see almost real time that hash attack captured. So we have the right query. We've done it high fidelity. We're looking for a behavior and not a signature. We've got a pretty good idea how to move the industry to a better place. If you can catch past the hash attacks in your environment, you know, congratulations. The query is relatively simple. It took us a long time to get here, but it's a reasonably simple query. And so what we figured out, when I say in that previous slide, we're going to use a hash to catch a known thing, right? We don't really know what it looks like, but we are going to use what we do know, which is we have a source IP address. We have a username. We know that username hasn't authenticated outside of our environment that we have containerized. So when we start working backwards through the hunt process, we see IT admin. IT admin authenticated. So now we have a username and we have an event ID. In that event ID, we also see that it was a network logon type, event, you know, logon type three. We also figured out the logon process name is NTLM SSP. Fine. What was interesting was that user reported, user reporter, I think this is a slight typo. So I think it's user reporter SID, which is null nobody, S100. So now our query ends up looking like this. Event ID 4624, logon type 3, user reported SID, and logon type NTLM SSP. Can I, can I bring something up really quick? Yeah. About, we talked about red team and blue team are vigils. We need to respect them as that. Red team is your red team, blue team is blue team. If you have, if you're, if you don't have the, the manpower to, to have separate teams, okay. But the experts are the experts, right? What I think may have just happened, and I found it amusing, is that the red team was like with us the entire way through the attack, like, this is a cool attack. And then you get to the blue team part, and they're like, <laughs> when's the next slide and it's because that exact thing like the red yeah. team might really not be interested about this section at all and that's okay like that is 100 percent what we're talking about how purple teams didn't work before is because the teams really didn't necessarily care so much i'm not hearing you anymore i don't think jason can you confirm that please yeah it's because i turned my mic off for a second yeah right. there we go there yeah. you go thank I, you I, okay. I, I want you to tell you. the whole story again you just sounded valuable. no i can hear you you just sounded far away there you go okay. so you want us to carry on so basically the point being we've walked through the life cycle again we found an ingest we're interested in something we want to catch which is a tough to detect attack unless you like are really i would say on the top quartile of maturity it's hard to catch. So we pick that one because we want you to catch this attack. It's, it's so devastating in its nature where I can just leave a file lying around and within an hour or two, I've usually got a user on your domain and that an escalated user on your domain. So Olaf mentioned something. He said there's still some false positives on this, which I think is a valid point. There are. <laughs> We're talking about bringing IOCs. And if, if you are trying to run your, your blue team, your SIM, all the way to where there's no false positives would be difficult. But for, <laughs> this is the, the closest thing I think we've gotten. This is yeah. the one where we've ended up going through like NSA stuff to find. And then we found backwards by doing our hunt process yeah. that we actually matched reasonably well to the Sigma rule, which is awesome. Right? One of those, That's what we want. And it was one of these Olafs where we, we reached out to Olaf, and now he's hanging out with us. Okay, so we're almost to the reveal. Really, like the, the slide after this is the big reveal. Okay. And that is because we care so much about the report. We've been through this with so many organizations and we work for an MSSP. 
So we had to do this not only for the organization we work for, the 50 other organizations we tried to help secure. So what's interesting about this is in every class we've had, we've, we've gotten to this point, and, and every time we're asked, can we use this, this playbook and can, can we have that? I say, yeah, of course you can have it. Like, well, can we share it? And we always had to say, oh, uh, um, and then we had this epiphany like, oh, yeah, wait, yeah, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so although there's a ton of effort and time that was put into developing this in a meaningful way using our background in business, we're making it all open source. We want you to contribute. If you see things in here that you think can be modified, absolutely get in there. Get on that, that GitHub repo that doesn't have any documentation yet. <laughs> You know, get in there. We want we want the support. We want the help. We want you guys to look at this and definitely get in there and be an active part of it because we think this goes a long way to to kind of getting past that dichotomy. And it's and the reason for that is that dichotomy is probably always going to exist because we called it a red team and blue team originally decades ago, and consequently we now have this perception that they are teams that oppose each other, and that's okay as long as they have a common goal. All right, the report's going to be like 30 pages long. Let's get into it. <laughs> oh, the reveal is not quite as exciting as that. <laughs> it's not, but it is. So this is an overview of the sum of the report. We know you can't read these words. It's okay. What we're, we're pointing out here is it's two pages long. We're going to each one of these sections really quick. But, <laughs> yes, remember that phone number. Seven, 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 seven. Anyway, so the idea here is that this is the report that I talked about that can, can be consumable by everyone. Everybody should be able to read this, and, and if they're involved in any way, they'll understand what's going on. The very top part of the report, just... The phone number's on GitHub, too, if you really want to remember it. <laughs> Y'all can find my phone number if you really need it to. It's poor OSINT on my part. So here's the thing. The top part, anyone, if, if you hand this piece of paper to anybody, they just look at the top, they know exactly what's going on. They don't have to read any further into the report than the first top part here. They've got a project tracking on the right-hand side. You have the project manager on the left-hand side. The project manager might be the one person that does all this anyway. You might have different teams that do it. Yeah, and, and beyond that, right? There's some acronyms and some things we use in here. PB. What's PB, Kent? Playbook. So we put together a library of playbooks, and those are all various attacks, right? Catching sketchy PowerShell execution on your network, seeing what C2 framework execution looks like on your network, NTLM relay past the hash, catching all these things. To us, each one is a playbook. So at the end of the day, we have a library of things we can hand over to our CISO and say, this is what we have accomplished over the last couple months. Let's take, a, you know, like, let's take this to the next step. All right, so next step, next portion, next like two inches of this report. This is, covers basically the planning phase and then the first part of the attack methodology. So we're looking at what was the original risk threat ingest? What is that? We put that in there. It's those MITRE ones right there on the right-hand side. The lifecycle type, it was attack simulation. What our goal was was to alert and defend. So that has all the information about what we're trying to accomplish and our initial, like, how we're going to. The attack methodology is talking about the actual methodology that was used. Now, this is live, right? So as this report gets built, there could be more information here. There could be less. What we would suggest is your actual methodology. In this case, having the the commands in there works really effectively because it's it's that's how many commands. Yeah, you and guess what happens there. when you go to rinse and repeat this in a quarter or oh, in a year. Right but if your if your attack stack is like pages long, just build another document that is your. Again, the key thing to note here is that your red team needs to be able to read these notes. If the blue team can't read it as much, it's okay because the red team is the one that's going to consume this later on to get anyway. So what that happened, you can put this in another section, but the attack methodology is just how it worked. If you need to link to an external document, that's okay. 
The next section is going to be the hunt and defend, defense methodology, going through there and just defining out what we did and then whether or not it worked. If it didn't work, you go back to the planning phase. You might need to add some tools. You might need to make some configuration changes. And that configuration change gets documented as well in this report. And then that's the next section. The Whoop. Awesome. This one right, right there. So lifecycle adjustments. What had to change in order to get this to work? Now, if you're doing a fidelity check, right? If you're just saying, uh, we last year we had this, uh, this IOC already in our sim. We just want to test really quick. You could get all the way down and say lifecycle adjustments are not because what we initially planned, the attack, defense both worked. We're still catching the behavior every yeah, single time. Perfect. So it's, that section's blank. So let's change management at that point. And then lessons learned, of course, is that year after year, in that case, year after year, our IOC was persistent and it still worked. The, the threat hadn't changed or the IST of the threat hadn't changed. Now, in this case, it's a little bit different. We had to make lifecycle adjustments. And on top of that, we've gone through now and documented those lifecycle adjustments. We had now gone through it a couple times, going from planning, attack, hunt, defend, adjustments, planning, attack, hunt, defend, adjustments, until we eventually get to change management and reporting. In that change management, we can say that, yeah, we've already done this multiple times. We've been, as we did that, we monitored CPU, we monitored IOPS. We know what the effect is going to be on the servers, on the workstations. We're good to go. Change management is going to look at that like, whoa, you already, you, oh, you already did your homework. All right, cool. Well, let's, let's set you up with a pilot in production. And that's your goal. If you can get to pilot in production off this report, that's awesome. And then lessons learned. Lessons learned is going to be something that you've learned in the process. All right. So there's a lot of information there. I think there's one more section here. There is not, but there's we not. are going okay. to talk more specifically about the lessons we learned. Okay. So I think one thing about that report that we didn't talk about is why we even did it. It's nice for project tracking, right? Who builds the, the playbook? Which is good. The very first section in the upper left-hand corner was, was about the project manager. If you have the opportunity to select one person to at least track it, they don't even have to do anything other than track that deadlines are getting met, right? That's all they have to do. That's, or you know, also make sure that things are getting done, but they don't have to be expert red team or blue team. It, it can be a business analyst. It can be you know, just a, a, given your director, your manager of the organization, supervisor. Someone that isn't necessarily being a practitioner, but they are doing things to lead projects. That can be the person that can at least um, generate this initially. And then each one of those teams that are going in here are going to go in and update their section. And sometimes that means red team and blue team should be in the same room. To oh, it's COVID. They should have a <laughs> Zoom meet. Wait, we're in the same room together right now. I don't like that. Anyways, so the point is there's everybody will be in this document. It's a live document. Everybody that's involved should have the ability to update it. What's interesting about this is we just did one life cycle, right? And we generated this one playbook. One. Good. Somewhere in there under lessons learned, you'll also have things like about what the impact was. And that's really possibly in planning, too, as you did the research. What was the impact of the threat if it was successfully, uh, successfully executed? Maybe what was the potential risk to the business? Those can be documented in there. If those are documented in there. What's interesting about this and important is that as soon as you document those two things with probability of the attack and maybe the absolute like worst case scenario is that your CISO can put a dollar amount on this piece of paper. As soon as there's a dollar amount on this piece of paper, you can start stacking them, layering them up. You did 20 of them this year. Each one of those has a reduction in risk that is valuable to the organization. It's valuable to C-level. It's valuable to investors. If you have that, Going back and saying, hey, last year I only had two guys working on this life cycle. We could do a lot more if we had, you know, maybe two more. And they're going to look at that and be like, well, I mean, you've given us, I, I see here like 300 grand of, of risk reduction. 
I think we can throw more people at that and see what you can do next year. And that's what's key for this. Reporting is never fun for trying to report things that you don't like. The point here is because you're working and building this for everybody, you'll be able to be able to get buy-in way easier from your CISO, from the people that sign your checks, from the board, if you put it into perspective that they'll understand. That's why this report is one page long. That's the only reason it's one page long, because anybody could read the report, know what it meant, know that there was a life cycle that was involved, and know a dollar amount at the end of the day. Now, the red team and the blue team do not need to identify what that dollar amount is. They don't. But your CISO and his field should be able to pull a team together and look at those things. Her field, thank you. To be able to pull those things together and define that. And that's important. Especially when you start stacking these up one by one. All those things. Has the organization's posture, security posture been improved? I sure hope so. In this case, definitely. Even the simple implementation of a query against your tool. And we don't really talk about Sigma and Sigmac, and we should. There's just not time in this in this context to discuss Sigma and Sigmac. We are at the end. There are no more slides. And we left three minutes, 2.5 minutes. Who's up? John, you want to jump in talk about Sigma and Sigmac, our efforts moving in that direction? John took off on us. Did he? Yeah. He's got stuff to do. He's got a life outside of us. <laughs> Jason, what I you had, got? I had this question from Leon. Uh, what is the Sigma rule? The Sigma rule is, if you, someone could probably find this pretty quick. It's under uh, Florian's. Sigma repo and search for pass the hash. Yep. There's actually two versions of it in there and they're really close. They, they need massaging like everything for whatever SIM it is you're using, whatever infrastructure you have and maintain, it may look a little different, but Sigma is a standard query language that you can with Sigmac translate to any particular SIM. So All right. search Marcella, for pass the hash. You go next, Marcello. We got time for one more. Thank you. That was fast. Olaf, you're awesome. Appreciate it. I was hoping you would because I'm, I'm I, yeah, my search term wasn't as fast. <laughs> okay, now you can hear me. Okay, perfect. Therefore. All right, yeah, I got a couple of questions. First one, in the applied purple teaming webcast of four hours, Kent Jordan promised to share the purple team lifecycle document. Never saw it across my Discord. Can you please share? I'm assuming yes, you can get it. Okay. It's posted. At the very bottom, they can't see the bottom of the slide, and that's oh, that's a bummer. It okay. is a bummer. So the bottom of the slide has information you can't see. So if you go look at the slides, the links are in there. All right. So if you go to github.com/defensiveorigins, there's a repo named Atomic Purple Team. If you go there, you will find a repo that has no documentation that has exactly what you just asked for: document template and slides. Yes, and eventually documentation. <laughs> All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to end the official webcast for today. And then we're going to just go into our post-show Q&A rapid-fire session. So thank you, everyone, for joining us for today's Black Hills Information Security webcast. We do this all the time. So please, if this was your first time, come back next week or the week after or the week after that. So do that. If you ever need a pen test, red team, blue team, you know where to find us. And with that, we're going to be done for today. But if you want to stick around, we will be doing post-show banter and Q&A. So if you have other questions, feel free to ask them in GoToWebinar or in Discord, and we're going to keep answering questions for like another for 10 time. to 15 minutes. Thank you. You guys have a great afternoon.